Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen, to episode number two of Let's Go Racing with David Starr. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Joined by NASCAR veteran David Starr alongside Dominic Aragon of the RacingExperts.com. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us this week. We got through episode one. Let's do it again for another week of Let's Go Racing. Dropping the green flag on episode number two. Dave, how are we doing this week, man? Busy week. Been in uh, Austin, Texas over the last three or four days. And uh, it's been a crazy week. But, uh, you know, that's usually our our world we live in. But it's been a great week. And uh, glad to be back on our second episode of Let's Go Racing with David Starr. It's kind of weird to say that. But uh, pretty cool. I thought it was kind of cool. We got through our first one. And, uh, you know, a little bit of, uh, you know, we're kind of learning as we go. So I'm kind of excited about it. Dominic, how you doing, man? Doing great, man. Yeah, like like Dave said, we're already episode two. These things are just going to start clicking off faster and faster. No doubt about it. And before we get too further along in today's show, I want to remind the folks out there to subscribe to Let's Go Racing with David Starr. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, also on YouTube, the video version of the show you can watch from start to finish. And you can follow us on social media, facebook.com, David Star Podcast, and also on Twitter, at Star Podcast is where you can find us there. And make sure to rate and review. Give us a five-star review, or don't give us one at all. Uh, five stars or nothing. nothing is how we uh, roll around here. So we will uh, go ahead and uh, get rolling with today's show. David, you're out at the uh, Coda Racetrack in Austin. Tell us about that experience. I believe this was your first time racing out there, as we know that it's going to be a part of the NASCAR Cup Series schedule in 2021 and they've done a great job of hosting some f1 races over the last several years man what a great facility i, I don't know for those that been there uh circus of the americas am i saying it right uh they called it they we usually say coda uh circus of america i don't really know the exact name of the of the beautiful racetrack there but man they built a, a heck of a facility it's beautiful uh, I've been by there several times. Uh, Chaz Glace that owns Chasco, one of my, been a partner for 22, 23 years with me on the NASCAR side. Uh, they, uh, they did a lot of construction, a lot of work and building that place. And it was, when it was finished, they invited me down and I went down to Austin and drove around and checked it out, but never been on the racetrack and man, unbelievable. What, what a racetrack, you know, it was, it was awesome. Uh, my uncle Mike Starr, that owns the NASCAR driving school there at the Texas Motor Speedway, you know we uh, uh, he built a Camaro. Uh, another good friend of mine, Larry, uh, uh, was part of that. He's partnered on the car and uh, to be able to go down there and run. We we ran in a, in a in a racing league called the World Racing League, and I don't know a whole lot about it. But they travel all over the United States and uh, that race at Daytona, uh, Watkins Glen, uh, Road America. I mean, they have these big races. And, and uh, they had a uh, – I think it was their championship weekend, eight-hour race, enduro race on Saturday. And, uh, again, backed it up with another event on Sunday, which was another eight-hour uh, enduro race and uh, to crown their champions, you know. And what an experience that was. My – my goal was to go down there and just get on the racetrack and, you know, knowing that NASCAR announced that we would be going to Coda, going to the track in Austin there uh, in May, sometime in May, the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series is going to be there along with our Xfinity Series and the, the Cup Series. Uh, 
you know, it's like, man, I've never been on the racetrack there. And, uh, man, what a great opportunity it was when Mike said, hey, let's go down there and run this World Racing League race. And, uh, man, it was awesome. You know, I, got to, I was in the car for two hours on Saturday. And then back, we backed that up with about an hour and a half I drove on Sunday. And just, you know, picking up, you know, on a road course, you just want to hit your marks, your reference points, uh, that kind of stuff, you know. And uh, it, it was just wonderful. What I wanted out of it, I got. Uh, our car, uh, we, we, uh, we actually had a great car. It was a 1982 Camaro. We took off the road and put a roll cage in it and put a four nine-inch rear end in it, put a race engine in it, V8 race motors, probably a 358. And uh, we took a production car <laughs> and turned it into a race car. It was kind of – but, man, that thing would fly down those straightaways. And uh, it, it actually – the car worked good. It was amazing how good it worked on the road course. But it's interesting, you know, because you're, you're racing against factory race cars. You know, there's Porsches, there's Audis, there's BMWs, you know, there's Toyotas, there's Mustangs. I mean, all kinds of cool cars. And what little I know about this type of racing, road racing, you know, there's obviously IMSA and Trans Am. There was actually Austin Dillon was there. I, I got to visit Sunday morning. Somebody bear hugging me, and I turn around. It's Mike Dillon, you know, and Austin was there in a Trans Am 2 car, and uh, 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 the, the Reddit kid was there. They were teamed up, and Kaz Gala was there, and they were, they were doing the same thing I was doing. And I got to looking around. I looked up one time. I just got out of the car and I looked up and freaking Corey LaJoy was standing there. You know what I mean? So I was not the only NASCAR driver there taking advantage of seat times to understand, you know, the racetrack, to learn the racetrack. You know, again, you know, you're looking at your reference points and, uh, you know, just trying to figure out where the racetrack is. So when we go back down there in May, we're not cold turkey when we get on, you know, we're not, it's not just completely brand new to us. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, speaking, I saw Corey LaJoy. And then uh, later on that day, uh, I ran into Josh Balicki. So, I mean, it was there was like six or seven NASCAR drivers there uh, competing in the race, you know, at different points. You know, I, I guess when you have these enduro races, eight hours, 12 hours, 24 hours, it takes four or five drivers, you know. So, uh, it was kind of a cool learning experience. And, I mean, Dude, there was 90, I want to say, I think there were 95 cars, 90 cars on the racetrack at once. <laughs> it was awesome, man. It was cool. I, I had a good time. It was a lot of fun. But, man, it was, man, you know, when you, you pass these factory race cars, whether it be a BMW or Mercedes-Benz or these Porsche Boxsters, I mean, they're built from the factory as a, as a road racing race car. And, man, I fly down on the straightaway, and, man, I'm, I'm trying to stay uh, ahead of them and keep them behind me. And, man, I'm blocking my tail off, you know. <laughs> I know they were getting mad, but uh, those cars handle so good. And it's kind of interesting to take a, a, factor, a, a street car and turn it into a road racing race car compared to a factory-built race car. It's night and day difference. But, man, what I wanted to get out of it, I got. It was pretty awesome. Can't thank my uncle Mike Starr enough. Uh, you know, he just built a heck of a car. And my cousin, uh, Mike's son, Tyler Starr, was uh, one of the drivers. And we had a good friend of ours from uh, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, uh, Billy Kahn, that owns the Interstate Batteries Distributor there, distributorship there. He's also uh, 
has raced in the NASCAR Winston West Series and now K&N Series ARCA. He's also a great driver. He was also one of our drivers, and uh, we had a great time. Uh, the, the finish results, you know, as a, as a competitor – you know, once I, man, I, I was just telling him, I just want to get in the car, run some consistent laps and learn to racetrack, you know, and, uh, shoot, man, it went on lap three, you know, I'm like, man, <laughs> I'm trying to keep the guys behind us. And I, I went to racing hard and, you know, just learning the racetracks, one thing, but man, when people are out there racing, man, it just kicks in and you just don't want anybody to pass. You want to keep everybody behind you. But man, what a, what a great experience it was. It was cool. And the facility there, they built there. Oh my God, world-class, you know, when I guess anytime you had the F1 series come, you know, build a racetrack for that, you know, I don't know much about the F1 racing, but man, this is the racetrack they built there in Austin, Austin Texas is just unbelievable over the top world-class certainly world-class facility there and Dave you said it best there too with how valuable track time is especially in this era where you don't have a lot of NASCAR testing so for you what would you say was the biggest lesson you learned having that three and a half hours of track time man it was just you know uh you know just all the all the the breaking points you know how far you can drive into the into the corner, your apexes, you know, you, how you enter a corner. It's all about momentum, keeping the car rolling through these, these road courses, you know, and, and just hitting the corner right and getting back on the gas as soon as you can. Sometimes on these road courses, if you don't apex the corner just right, I mean, you're losing time. It's just so technical. And that racetrack's high speed. It's technical. It's, it's, it's a tough place, you know. And, and uh, as you ran, you know, I was just educating myself, uh, watching my times and seeing, trying things in the S's. And, you know, you're just trying different things. And then you look at the time saying, was that better? Or was that worse? You know, so, you know, just pick up points where you apex the corner at, where you get back on the throttle, you know, how deep I thought I could drive into the corner. You know, you can overdrive corners real easy on these road courses and, uh, you know, it kills your time. Just, uh, the reference points, you know, picking up, you know, no matter if you're in a 1982 Chevrolet Camaro that we built or you're in a NASCAR Xfinity Series uh, race car or a cup car, you know, the pickup, the, the, the reference points, your visual is always going to be the same. You know what I mean? And, and the way you drive the racetrack is the same. Now, the vehicles was completely different compared to what it will be like when I go back in my Xfinity car. But, uh, but man, reference points, turn-in points, where you get back on the throttle at. And, uh, you know, I just – I learned a lot of stuff. You know, when you turn to this one corner, I was like, man, I can shift before I turn in. It keeps my momentum going forward, and I have my momentum's better. You know what I mean? Well, I didn't figure that out until like an hour into my run, you know, and, uh, and you're looking at your lap times, and they're getting better. So – and then talking to uh, – talking to my cousin, uh, Tyler star, and then talking to Billy, you compare notes and, uh, they had an in-car camera, which I think you guys probably have a little bit of it and you'll be able to get to see some of it, but it was just, uh, you know, like going to, like we used to do a NASCAR, we went and tested, man. You're just, you're just learning the racetrack. Anytime you're making a lap on any racetrack or making laps anywhere, and any type of race car, you're getting better. You're educating yourself and you're learning, you know, and, uh, and man, I was like a sponge, uh, Saturday and Sunday. I was learning all I could take in. I, ha I still have a whole lot more to learn, but I feel like, uh, if the race was next week, 
that I could jump in the race car and, and, and get after it right away and be ready. So, uh, so that was exciting. That was uh, really cool. So, Dave, I know that you weren't racing in a NASCAR vehicle, but knowing what this track has put together with what you raced in and seeing what F1's done the last several years, how do you think NASCAR is going to fare on this track? Do you think this track can work for stock car racing? What say you as far as adapting to it uh, goes for uh, putting, you know, stock cars on, uh, on that uh, Coda racetrack? Man, that's a great question. And uh, just talking to a lot of the people that, that are, that make a living road racing and that travel around to the different racetracks. And, uh, you know, even this weekend talking to all the different drivers and uh, some of the crew members and team owners, you know, and, and they said, man, that's, they look forward to coming to Austin and coming to Coda and racing there, you know, and uh, just, I think it's NASCAR coming to Austin, Texas. I, I can already feel the enthusiasm from some of the people uh, that I met outside the racetrack and they were saying, man, we can't wait for the NASCAR race to be here. You know, there's a lot of enthusiasm in that, in that city about NASCAR coming, but Dominic, to answer your question, uh, I mean, Tyler, to answer your question is I think the NASCAR truck series, uh, I think the Xfinity series, and I think the NASCAR cup series, I think we're going to see some exciting racing going on there, you know, and uh, I think that track uh, is built where you're going to see great NASCAR road racing going on. I think, uh, I think it's going to be great. You know what I mean? It's, it's going to work yeah. out really good. Well, you mentioned the excitement level for the folks in Austin of having NASCAR come there. We know about Texas's history of hosting NASCAR races, the old Texas World Speedway. Texas Motor Speedway has had a lot of success over the years as well. The race fans there in Texas, and you know it firsthand living down there, David, are just as passionate, it seems, as anywhere in the country. I mean, they, they should embrace this, I imagine, and this be a huge deal to have this uh, race weekend there at COTA uh, coming up uh, later on next summer. Uh, no doubt about it. You know, just, you know, you mentioned Texas World Speedway. I mean, golly, I, I went by Texas World probably six, seven weeks ago, and, uh, you know, they had started tearing down turns one and two. And as a little boy growing up, Man, when, when my dad first took me to Texas World Speedway, it's a two-mile super speedway. I even think it's better than the Michigan International Speedway. Michigan's awesome. Two-mile tri-oval, like the California uh, Speedway there in, 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 uh, in uh, Riverside, California. Uh, Texas World Speedway has so much banking uh, in the turns. It's like Daytona-type bankings, and, man, that place was so fast. And I remember as a little boy watching uh, A.J. Foyt, Richard Petty, David Pearson, Bobby Allison, Buddy Baker, man, all the greats just raced there. You know, it was just great as a little kid being there. It was my favorite racetrack of all times. And uh, actually, uh, when my Uncle Mike started our NASCAR racing school back in 1990, uh, we started at Texas World Speedway, and man, what a cool time we had to be the, be there as long as we were and makes thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of laps there in a NASCAR race car during the schools, giving race car rides and being an instructor, man, just a, a great place. And then, you know, when they announced they were building the Texas Motor Speedway and, uh, you know, if you look back in the in the records, I don't have all the facts, but 
man, the Texas Motor Speedway, what a, what a speedway we have here in Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, I think uh, on, on a Sunday, I don't remember what year, maybe 2004, 5, 6, there were 236,000 people at that facility on, a, on, on race day for a cup race. That's amazing. You know what I mean? It was just amazing. Uh, and then, and then to have, have them build a, a world-class road course racetrack in Austin, Texas, man, I, I, you know, for me being a Texan, being from Houston, Texas, I'm Texas proud. I'm Houston proud. I'm proud of where we should all be proud where we're from, where we come from, where we were raised at. Uh, but man, there's a lot of deep, deep heritage of auto racing, a lot of passion, just a lot of racing that was always in Texas as a kid growing up. And uh, it's cool to see that they built the Circus of America, CODA they call it, uh, world-class road course here in Austin, Texas. I love it that racing strong, racing strong all over the United States, but it's very strong in Texas and I'm proud of that. Absolutely. And certainly with this podcast, David, we're we're sharing the backstory. We're sharing where that burning desire came to be a race driver, a racing driver. And certainly across Texas, there's a lot of great, great places to go racing and to get your start. Share with us some of those awesome tracks that you got your start at and, and make me tell us how many tracks you think you've raced at over the state of Texas. Man, it's, uh, you know, this podcast wouldn't go long enough. So I won't, I won't bore everybody with it. You know, I, uh, sometimes people say, Hey man, you could write a book, you know, and, and, you know, the truth of the matter is, um, you know, I could write a book, you know, that, that dream of becoming a, a NASCAR stock car race car driver started when I was three, four years old, you know, and uh, a lot of people heard me speak about this, but, you know, when I was born, my dad, my dad was a crew member for a, a racing team out of Houston, Texas called Vita Fresh Orange Juice uh, Racing Team. And, and uh, they obviously the Vita Fresh brand was big back in the 60s and, and 70s. And, uh, and man, Gordon Van Lue, that don't buy a fresh orange juice, he had Indy cars. He raced in the Indianapolis 500. He had people like Bobby Unser drove for him. And then on the stock car side, uh, which that was the side my dad worked, own uh they had two drivers ronnie chumley and a guy named tony bittenhausen jr and uh, the bittenhausen name is strong in indianapolis you know i didn't know tony bittenhauser senior but uh but man the bittenhausen name gary bittenhausen moral bittenhausen tony bittenhausen jr tony bittenhausen the dad um i think he was killed at the indianapolis motor speedway in 1961 and, uh, you know, I don't really know all the facts of the story, but Gordon Van Lue from Houston, Texas, where I'm from, that owned Vita Fresh Orange Juice, somehow or another, he was friends with the family and brought Tony Bittenhausen Jr. down to Houston, Texas, and started his career at Meyer Speedway. Meyer Speedway was a half-mile asphalt track uh, that, that, that was our local racetrack. And, man, man, as a kid, as a three, four, five years old, as a young kid – getting to go to the Vita Fresh Orange Juice race shop and getting to go to Meyer Speedway, man, I remember it like it was yesterday, you know, Ronnie Chumley, Ronnie was, God, Ronnie was, Ronnie was just, uh, he was my hero, still my hero. Ronnie's 85, 86 years old, lives in Magnolia, Texas, just north of Houston. And, and every time I go to Houston, I always go by and see Ronnie and just talk to him about, 
you know, the times I remember, man, I love watching him drive that Vita Fresh Orange Juice 66 or 68 Chevrolet Chevelle. You know, he had, they had some really cool race, race cars. And, man, just growing up around it and sitting in the stands on Saturday nights, um, you know, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't wait uh, for – I couldn't wait to go to the racetrack and just all the different drivers. You know, Larry Schild, A.J. Foyt had a car. That raced against Ronnie Chumley, AJ Foyt, obviously the biggest name in auto racing, uh, four-time Indianapolis 500 winner, Daytona 1972, Daytona 500 winner. You know, AJ Foyt, as a, as a kid growing up, was my hero. You know what I mean? I, I idolized him, and uh, he had a car that competed when I was a little boy. had a had a driver named Larry Schild that drove it, and Larry was. Larry was like a Dale Earnhardt. He had that much talent. He was, he was, yeah, I didn't know this, but I was four or five, six years old sitting in the stands. You know, Larry was only 17, 18, 19 year old kid driving for AJ Foyt. And man, he was hard to beat. They had another guy named Freddie Fryer. And golly, a lot of people know who Freddie Fryer is. He's like a dick trickle. Freddie, Freddie Fryer was unbelievable and be exposed to those greats these short track greats at an early age, man, and sitting up in the stands watching that, I fell in love with it, man. I, I uh, you know, I wish, you know, I wish in school, you know, I barely made it out of high school, but man, from an early age, I, I read all about Richard Petty and about NASCAR racing, about the Daytona National Speedway. I was exposed to it so young and I fell in love with stock car racing at a young age man that's just you know i still like i said i y'all hear me say this a lot but i still pinch myself because man i'm so blessed so thankful i i, I thank my dad just for being a part of it because man i i definitely followed him in his in his footsteps and uh man it, it was just it's been awesome you know and 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 uh <clears throat> the relationships you know now I'm great friends with AJ Foyt. Got to drive his uh, NASCAR Xfinity car, and you know, uh, you know, he was my idol. I mean, he was, you know, he was God. You know what I'm saying? And uh, just idolizing him and going to his shop. You know, when I was a teenager, I uh, and I'd be on these dates, and I say, "Hey, I'm gonna take you to dinner." And then when we get done dinner, you know, you're 16, 15 years old, 17, and then we're driving AJ Foyt's race shop to go look at a building. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, just, man, you know, I just, I just, I love it, you know, and just the race and Richard Petty and Bobby Allison, Neil Bonnet, they came to Meyer Speedway. Uh, Bill White was a super modified driver. There's just so many, you know, uh, Bill White just passed away two or three months ago and, and uh, got another guy named Von Brune and just, you know, growing up watching these guys it really impacted my life and, and, had a lot of uh you know that inspired me you know these were true hardcore racers these guys you know uh these guys built their race cars they built their engines they built their they built the cars you know what i mean they knew every aspect of it they knew how to work on the toe and the camber and caster and man these guys put on a heck of a show I've, and Man, I just uh, – I remember being four, five, six years old. I remember everything about the racing. And, um, you know, well, yeah, it impacted me so much that, you know, I, I did everything I could 
to become what they were. And man, I'm just so thankful and blessed that, that I actually made it and got to race cars. Uh, they had such an impact on my life. And a lot of those drivers, you know, are in their late seventies and, and middle eighties and some are in their nineties about four or five years ago. Uh, some of them were passing away and I got to thinking about it. I said, man, these guys had such an impact on me as a kid and drove me to want to be what they were and be and, and by the grace of God was able to make it to as a professional in stock car racing to NASCAR. I felt like, man, I needed to honor them and let them know that not only myself, but there were so many others from Houston, Texas as kids that these drivers, they impacted our lives, you know? So I wanted to do something for them. So we got together and uh, I got together with Ronnie Chumley's son, uh, Chris Chumley and Larry Shald's daughter that drove for AJ. Her name's Gina Shald, who's a promoter down at the little asphalt track there in Houston. And, and we had a Meyer Speedway reunion, man. And, and uh, it was unbelievable. We had like 700 people, 750 people show up and, a lot of all the drivers I grew up watching, you know, and uh, God, it was, it was amazing. I never would have thought that it would turn out like it did. And I just wanted every one of them, uh, if they raced there when we, in the late sixties, early seventies, that racetrack closed in 1979. That's how long it go, how long it was. <clears throat> I wanted them to know that what they did and how they did, you know, I wanted them to know that it impacted a lot of people's lives. And uh, we had a reunion, the Myers Speedway reunion. And, man, it was awesome. We had grown men in their 70s, 80s, 90s, not only just hug me, hug Gina Child, hug Chris Chumley, and everybody that was part of this to put this together. And they had tears in their eyes. They were choked up and couldn't, uh, couldn't barely speak. But, they, uh, you know, we just wanted them to know that they – what they did and how long they did and how they did it, it changed people's lives and it made our lives better because of those guys. And uh, I called AJ Foyt and I told AJ, say, AJ, this is what I'm doing. I'm putting on a reunion for Meyer Speedway. And he said, man, David, that's awesome. I said, man, love it if you came. He said, well, you come get me and I'll come. You know what I mean? And uh, as I thought about it, I'm like, man, you know, AJ Foyt, Man, he's the biggest name in auto racing in the world, you know. So, you know, I got to thinking about it myself. I'm thinking, man, I want to put all these other guys in the spotlight because AJ, you know, everybody, he's, you know, he's such an iconic person in the world. You know, maybe I didn't want him to come, you know, but, but, but he had called me and he said, Hey man, I just had some knee surgery. I'm not walking real well and uh, be kind of tough for me to get around there. So he said, Hey, if there's anything you need, David, if you need a race car, you need, you know, some money or whatever you need, you let me know. I just, I think it's cool what you're doing. And I thought that was pretty awesome because, you know, that place meant a lot to AJ Foyt as well. And, uh, man, our reunion was awesome. And, uh, and man, it was, it was a cool deal. I, I still think about it. It was four years ago and, uh, it was pretty cool. And, and, and since that reunion, there's been about seven of those drivers have passed on, you know, and, uh, I was glad that they knew that what they did and how they did and racing at Myers Speedway impacted not only my life, but a lot of other people's as well. David Starr with us here on episode number two of Let's Go Racing. Tyler Jones alongside Dominic Aragon 
And David, you mentioned some of the early days, people that helped you get going. And we received some unfortunate news, somebody that uh, you know that was around you way back when uh, passed away. Uh, tell us about uh, what went on there. Well, I got news. I got home late last night from, uh, uh, from Austin, Texas, and uh, got a phone call that uh, a friend of mine named Pete Duto had passed away with a massive heart attack. And Pete was a young man. I'd say Pete was about 50 years old, uh, you know, just a great friend. But, you know, you talk about, I talk about writing a book. I could write a good book on just all the ups and downs and, and the, the peaks and valleys and who helped you. And it's just, you know, but Pete was just a great race car driver. You know, you, this racing business, you know, you got, you know, it's just a big family. And, uh, you know, when you race locally, you grow up in a city, uh, your local racetracks, maybe you got one or two in a, in a big city like Houston, Texas, and you travel up to the Dallas-Fort Worth area, you go, you know, you start moving over to Louisiana, Oklahoma, you know, it's just, it's, you know, there's racing all over the United States, but it's just a small family, you know, and uh, the people you race with and the people that give you opportunities that help you, you know, I said it the last podcast, our first podcast, every every race car driver, I don't care if it's a NASCAR race car driver, a, uh, a guy that races in the street stocks for 10 years at the local dirt track, an Indy car race car driver, a, a drag racer. There's so many people behind everybody's careers that help, that help you get there. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and uh, so Pete was a great friend of mine. He was a competitor and man, that guy, won a lot of races and was just a great friend of mine. And his dad owned a junkyard uh, about 10 miles from uh, where I lived and from our, from our automotive transmission shop. And, uh, and I had known Pete and Chris Duto uh, because I, because I've been around racing my, since I was a little boy, you know, and, and Chris Duto raced uh, Pete's dad raced at Meyer Speedway. But, uh, Chris gave me my first car, my, my first car that we turned into my first bomber race car that I started racing. He gave it to me, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, he's, he just gave, did a lot for me. And, and, uh, you know, as a young, young kid racing bomber cars, you know, I'd go to the junkyard and man, I could, I could get any kind of springs I wanted shocks, wheels and tires and, I didn't know what I was doing, but man, I would go there and load up on tires that I thought would get me more traction there at the dirt track. And, you know, I, I got springs out of a pickup truck and man, it, anything I ever needed, I could go to that junkyard and get. And, you know, when I would go up to the counter and show him everything, he said, just put it in your truck, put it in your car and come get me and show me what you got. And uh, when I went to pay for it, <clears throat> he never let me pay for it. Chris never let me pay for it. And man, that guy was so passionate about auto racing here in Houston, Texas, and the kind of dirt cars that he built his son, Pete Duto, who was a great friend of mine that passed away uh, late Saturday, a uh, late Sunday morning. Man, there was just some cool cars, and Pete won a lot of races, and he was a great race car driver. And it's just, you know, uh, it's just. Uh, it's okay. Yeah, David, uh, we, we know we're, that's not easy, you know, uh, and, and that's what we're going to have on this show, some very real moments here um, on that. Uh, Dominic, uh, 
anything you want to elaborate uh, else on this for David? Yeah, no, Dave, just you're right. There's always going to be those people who have helped us along the way and so many moving parts and pieces that help us to get where we need to go. And no, your, your friend and, and person here, he's going to be in my thoughts and in my prayers and his whole family is in my thoughts and prayers. Yeah. And you guys are my thoughts and prayers too. Man, I appreciate that. It's just, you know, it's just, man, you could sit here and, and uh, you know, the pandemic has just been, you know, not, you know, it's just been a lot of friends and lots going on in our country, obviously for everybody, but man, I don't, I don't know. I've been at a lot of funerals this year and uh, you know, I, I'm, uh, I'm ready to, I know everybody is, I'm ready for uh, 2021 to get here and uh, man, I, I want everybody to prosper and everybody to be safe. And, you know, I think if we got our health, we got it all, you know what I mean? But, you know, just, uh, you never know what people are going through and, and uh, the health problems people have. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I just, uh, you know, you know, I, I try to call, um, I try to keep in touch with everybody. It's impossible. You know what I mean? Life racing gets in the way and we got families and we're just trying to make a living, you know, trying to take care of our kids and be a great husband, great dad. And just, uh, you know, you just, um, it's just, it's, it's, um, it's just life. It's great. Yeah. Last question on the early days, David, and then we'll move on. Okay. What was it that, that got you in to break through to NASCAR racing? What was, uh, the thing that, that made that happen? Man, you know, golly, you know, it's just amazing people. Uh, You know, I was racing, you know, I had a neighbor, you know, my dad got out of the business when I was seven years old. Uh, Dad traveled a lot. Ronnie Chalmick was doing really good. Tony Bittenhausen Jr. These guys were amazing drivers, you know, and uh, they traveled a lot. They go to Nashville, go to Florida, you know, they just did some traveling, not full time, but you know, I think the Sportsman Series is kind of like our Xfinity Series in NASCAR in the early 70s. And uh, my dad traveled a lot. And having an older brother and a younger brother, you know, we were so bad. My grandmother or grand, my grandmother called us the termites because we were into everything. You know what I mean? <laughs> and my mom, you know, dad not being there all the time was tough on her, you know. And uh, uh, so she kind of put her foot down and, and asked, told my dad, hey, you need to pick the road or your family you know, and, and obviously he made the right decision. By the time he got out of the sport and started our automotive transmission shop, you know, uh, my neighbor, uh, my neighbor had been racing too. Gary, uh, Larry, uh, Jerry Spitz was his name. Jerry Spitz raced at Meyer Speedway and, and then he, ra- he raced dirt cars, you know, and I thought that was wild, you know, cause I was exposed to Meyer Speedway, which was a half mile asphalt track, but so Jerry was racing and then Jerry kind of retired and, and, uh, his son, uh, Gary Bolton, his son was racing uh, late model cars for a guy from New York named David Bobinry. And, and, um, somehow or another, I was doing pretty good in my bomber car there for a couple of years and won races. And, uh, and, uh, uh, I guess David Bobinry and, and, uh, and my neighbor, uh, uh uh, Gary, Gary Bolton, they kind of had a disagreement and they split up. Next thing you know, David Bobery came to me and said, Hey man, you want to drive this dirt wedge late model car? I mean, I was 15 years old. I'm like, you got to be kidding. <laughs> I mean, do I want to drive it? I mean, heck yeah. You know, I would park by them. You know, we, we raced at big H motor speedway there in, uh, here in, in Houston, Texas. And man, 
it was some great racing and uh golly that that opportunity it was just you know it's like you can't believe that you're getting in this race car that has just a thousand horsepower you know i was racing against guys that had hendrick motors and you know rouse engines and uh big just big massive dirt wedge late model race cars you know and uh I couldn't believe that that I was getting to do that and I was driving for David Bobinery, but man, that just, that was amazing. And uh, I'm going to fast forward. I've driven for a lot of different people and, uh, but it wasn't until, um, it wasn't until my uncle Mike Starr, uh, we, we, he, we had, uh, he went to the Charlotte Motor Speedway and, and I went later, but he went to a racing school there and he came back and he said, man, I'm going to put you in a sportsman car. They were running these sportsmen. You had, it was a NASCAR type race car. I think it had to be at least a five-year-old cup car with a very, uh, I don't even remember the, the engine rules, but it had to have a two-barrel carburetor. They were racing Atlanta Motor Speedway, Charlotte. And I don't remember the other tracks, but Mike said, man, you, we need to run a sportsman race. I'm going to put you in a race. So, I went down to the racing school there and uh, went to that at uh, the fast track driving school there at Charlotte Motor Speedway. And uh, but anyway, uh, there were so many entries in that first sportsman race that we were going to go to at the Charlotte Motor Speedway. I mean, there was like, man, I want to say there was uh, 75 entries trying to make a field of 43. And uh, for some, uh, from, I don't know if it was a paperwork, but they said you sent in your paperwork late, so you're not even going to be able to come bring your car to try to qualify for the race. So the car we the, the race car we had bought, Mike said, man, we're going to start our own racing school. I'm like, you're going to do what? <laughs> he said, we're going to start a NASCAR racing school at the Texas Motor Speedway. And I'm like, wow, man. And, uh, man, we went to Charlotte and went to um, – I'm trying to remember the team owner's name. Uh, Jimmy Spencer drove – some of the first cars that we bought that we had in our team Texas High Performance Driving School based there at Texas World Speedway, Travis Carter was his name. We bought five, six, seven cars from Travis, and then Mike bought some racing motors from Travis, and H.B. Bailey helped us. H.B. Bailey was another uh, race car driver from Houston, Texas that was running in the ARCA series. He was a cup driver in the, in the 60s and the 70s, and he was running ARCA then, and he helped us, and uh Man, for so our one of our first big racing schools at the Texas World Speedway, I met a I met a a couple named David and Susan Hawker who were big in Impact Computers, and uh, we man we just got to be great friends. I met a lot of people that, that first racing school. David and Susan Hawker was one of them, and and uh, they they loved racing so much. They would come watch me run my dirt late model car at different places, and uh, they said, "Man." Uh, we love your passion. We love, we love your desire to race. You know, they, they like being around me, you know what I mean? And, uh, they came to a race. I think it was devil's bow speedway in Dallas, Texas. And we did really well. And, and, uh, we got to talk and they said, man, what do you, what's your goals? You know, why are you racing? Where do you want to go? I said, man, I want to be a NASCAR race car driver. And, uh, and so they, uh, they said, man, they were really, they really liked that. And they came to me and said, well, we want to help you do that. So, uh, uh, I, they sent me to Charlotte. I went down there and, and they invested in a, in a, in a Bush team that was already running, uh, that was already racing a guy named Roy Payne. Roy Payne drove it. And, uh, Donnie Allison was our crew chief. And, uh, 
So back in 1996, I was going to run five races. And in 1997, I would run for rookie of the year, run full time. Well, uh, that didn't work out. That that fell apart. And it uh, wasn't a pretty divorce with uh, Susan Day Hawker in the pains. The pains didn't keep up their side of the bargain with uh, with the uh, with Dave and Susan Hawker. And, man, I had moved to Charlotte. And, uh, man, when that fell apart, you know, I called back down to my dad here in, in, in Houston. And, man, I said, man, I just, you know, so disappointed and wanted to get a baseball bat and, you know, do some stuff that, <laughs> you know, uh, take a baseball bat to some people that I thought took that dream away from me. But, uh, you know, my dad said, hey, man, you need to – you just need to keep on keeping on and uh, keep dreaming big and uh, keep racing anything, get your hands on, and uh, it'll all work out, you know. So, man, I moved to South Carolina, raced some late model cars there uh, for uh, a guy that I hadn't met. And I said, hey, man, you want to go right NASCAR racing? And he he didn't want to go NASCAR racing. So, uh, you go back to that first racing school that we had at Texas World Speedway, that first school, I met a guy named Gary Fields and Al Mallory. Well, Al Mallory owned a company here in Fort Worth, Texas, or Joshua, Texas, called uh, Mallory's Western Wear, and he was a big racer. He had uh, how late model cars that they race on pavement. And, man, when I was down in South Carolina racing late model cars, trying to figure out, you know, how do I get back to NASCAR? How do I get another opportunity in the Bush Series or any NASCAR, you know, just to race in NASCAR? Uh, it wasn't looking that great. Al Mallory called me one uh one afternoon and uh, he said hey he said man i got these great cars we got great equipment we got rear morrison racing engines and uh man i'm not doing any good and there was a series called ti texas international driving association it was a series and there was probably 10 racetracks they raced at throughout texas maybe uh mexico oklahoma and Al said, man, why don't you uh, come drive my race cars? <laughs> I'm like, for real? So, man, I packed my bags and moved from back from uh, Mar uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, back to Houston, Texas. Started working on cars again, man, a mechanic, and started driving for Al. And the first race we went to was at Texas World Speedway, and I won the race. And uh, that was really cool. Al had good stuff. And I uh, won that race. And then I uh, – we went to San Antonio, won a race. We just were doing really good. And I didn't realize it, but the, our engine builder was a, was a professional drag racing team called Rare Morrison. And, and, and Buddy Morrison of the Rare Morrison racing engines would come to those races, sit in the stands and watch me. And, uh, and uh, I didn't really know Buddy. I didn't know. I just driving the heck out of these race cars that had a lot of power and there were just good Hal chassis. I mean, we had good stuff and was winning these races. And next thing you know, I'm, it was a Saturday afternoon. And man, I'm working, I'm working on a car at our automotive shop. Phone rings in the scary fields. And he says, hey, um, uh, Buddy Morrison wants to, wants to send an airplane down to Houston, pick you up. He'd like to visit with you. And I'm like, uh, you know, airplane, you know what I mean? What do you mean airplane and who's Buddy Morrison, you know? And he said, Hey, you know, we're in Morrison, the people that build our engines, you know? And, uh, so anyway, I didn't know that much about them. And so they sent the, you know, we're in Morrison had their own pri private jets. They sent an airplane down in Houston, picked me up, flew me back up to Arlington, Texas, a suburb of the Dallas Fort Worth area. And, uh, <clears throat> actually Gary Fields picked me up. And he drove me over there to their race shop. And, man, it was – I couldn't believe what I was seeing. 
there was 18 wheelers uh that had penzoil all over them and i walked in the shop there were engine dynos running machine shop race engines everywhere i was like a kid in a candy store bruce allen met bruce allen he was their their nhra pro stock driver and rear morrison i found out real quick when i got there they're the winningest pro stock drag racing team in history and uh man what an opportunity and buddy morrison i met with buddy morrison he said hey hey david i like the way you race i like the way you carry yourself i've been watching you he said i'm gonna buy the racing team the late model racing team from al mallory and gary fields i'm gonna take you racing i'm gonna buy it from them and we're gonna go racing and if you can win some more races i'm taking you nascar racing i'm like i couldn't i mean you know you like you you can't believe what this man's telling you you know what i mean and uh Man, he uh, he bought the team from Al Mallory and Gary Fields, and and they were a part of it. But but Buddy Morrison owned it, and uh, man, we won some more races. And next thing you know, there are NASCAR trucks. There's NASCAR trucks showing up at our race shop, and Buddy, man, Buddy did what he said he was going to do, and that's that's how my career started. Buddy Morrison, Rear Morrison, pro- professional drag racing NHRA team took me made my dream come true man it's unbelievable that's awesome and uh we'll dive more into dave's story throughout the coming weeks but that's kind of just the start of where things were at for david Starr in his racing career at uh, nascar's highest uh, highest levels and uh we'll transition got a couple more things before we get out of here dominic i'll hand things over to you for this week's news and notes yeah, just some headlines going around the sport and of NASCAR. Next year's Daytona 500 is going to be run without fans. So for those that have already purchased tickets, the Speedway is planning on accommodating guests. The Speedway has sold out over the last several years for the Great American Race, but seating capacity has been over 101,000, not going to be the case next year. No word yet on how many fans will be allowed to attend the race, but the Daytona 500 is set for Sunday, February 14th. So, Dominic, you're saying that, I thought I saw that there was a limited number of fans that were limited number. There. Yes. Okay. All right. So that yes, that's limited it. number, there's not an exact number, at least at the time of this podcast coming out, of how many can attend. But I mean, I, I would, I'd be willing to guess we're going to probably see somewhere in the ballpark between maybe 10 to 20,000 fans allowed at the racetrack. Man, Dominic, I, I, uh, I hope you're so wrong. <laughs> Me too. I, I, hope mean, I, have to. I hope you're so wrong. And man, <laughs> I was sad to see that news that, you know, because man, the Daytona 500, you know what I mean? It's just, it just kicks off our NASCAR season. Uh, you know, just all the racing going on, Volusia County, New Smyrna, just the ARCA race there at Daytona, the twin 125s, the, the NASCAR Camper World Truck Series, the Xfinity race. I mean, it's just a big race weekend and i was sad that you know the the pandemic is still affecting our sport and will for a while uh, you know like everybody else i've been watching the news and you know coming out with a vaccine i just man i'm just you know i know everybody is and, and we all get tired of hearing it and i get tired of saying it and hearing it but man we're so ready our sport our sport, right. we, we need fans, you know, we need all our fans and uh, our fan, our, our sport does not work without our fans. You know what I mean? So I hope, you know, not to interrupt you on the news, but God, I hope that 
you know, that's a, a significant number, like 50 or 60 or thousand that will come to Daytona, you know what I mean? But, uh, but you know, the, the states and, uh, you know, all the, the officials and uh, the government, you know, the governor and they'll figure it all out. But golly, I, I just hate to get our 2021 NASCAR season started off with a limited number of people that can show up for Daytona. That's just, that's just terrible. Well, and real quick, Dom, uh, this year's speed weeks, didn't they change up the schedule where it was going to be more friend, uh, fan friendly where they could see more things in a tighter window of sorts? I think that was the plan to try to condense it down to a lot less time, but yeah, I we'll just kind of have to wait and see how this is all going to happen. You're right, David, too, with less fans showing up to the Daytona 500. That's, man, that's such a momentum killer. I, I, whoever wins that race on Sunday, they're going to get out of their car and just see sparse fans in the grandstands. That's got to be a gutted feeling for sure. And, and some other news out of Florida too, that we were kind of following over the weekend, Ty Majeski came away victorious in the snowball derby. So Majeski beat out Derek Thorne for the win at Five Flags Speedway. And some of the other NASCAR guys that were in that race too, Chase Elliott, the defending Cup Series champion, he finished third. Other NASCAR notables, Chandler Smith, who just announced he's going full-time truck racing, finished fourth. Kyle Busch was seventh. Grant Enfinger was eighth. Derek Krause was 15th. And the victory was Majeski's first in the event. Man, you know, you know, Tyler and Dominic, you guys know that the Snowball Derby, I've never been, I've never been a part of that, but man, that's the Daytona 500 of, of, of stock car short track racing in the country. You know what I mean? And uh, um, I look forward when our, when our NASCAR season's over to, uh, to keep up what's going on with the Snowball Derby, with the social media and, and all the social media platforms we have. It's, it's really great to, to keep up with that event, but man, those late model short track racers from across the United States, they're the best of the best. So, I mean, when you beat Chase Elliott, you know, and, and, and for most of the race fans, uh, you know, I, I don't remember how many entries there were, but you're talking about, you know, I think there was probably somewhere in the sixties, high sixties uh, entries that showed up to make the snowball derby race. And I think, uh, you know, again, I don't know how many qualify for it, but that's a tough one. It's a tough to make. It's tough to make that race. It's so tough that our 2020 NASCAR Cup Series champion, Chase Elliott, didn't even qualify for the race. He had to run the last chance race. And I'm not sure if that last chance race you know, if they take the top three or four or five, I don't know what it is, but Chase had to race his way into the Snowball Derby. And I know the race fans that were there and the ones keeping it up on the social media like I were, man, it was some drama going on. It was some excitement. You know, can you imagine, you know, having a, a Snowball Derby and, and Chase Elliott's there and him not making the race? I mean, that's, that was big. And for him to, to win the last chance race, and to come back and finish third in the event, man, he put on a heck of a show for the fans. And, uh, you know, anytime you talk about Kyle Busch and, uh, you know, Bubba Pollard, uh, I mean, there's just every, every, every guy that was competing in that snowball derby race, every one of them are champions are good. It's the best of the best from around the country. And uh, not only was the snowball Derby ran. They had the snowflake ran on Saturday evening, and uh, I, I don't remember who won the snowflake, but that was a big deal. You know, it's a late model, super late model race car with a, kind of a crate motor in it. And uh, Dominic, are you aware of who won that one? Johnson won the race. I'm, I'm slipping on the first name, but yes, right, right. 
Yeah. And man, there was some drama there. I, like I said, I was trying to keep up with it. I was more keeping up with what was going on for the, the snowball. But the snowflake, I mean, uh, I don't remember the driver's name, but the driver that won the snowflake Saturday night, he put on a heck of a show. And it was a great race. But I heard he got disqualified after the fact. After he won the race, he was disqualified. And the guy that finished second won the snowflake. I mean, and again, I mean, that snowball derby, that, you know, the, 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 snow, the snowflake race, they got a modified race, they got a truck race. I mean, that is just the powerhouse of all the strong hitters around the United States. When you win a race at the snowball derby, whether it's the modified truck race, the snowflake, or the snowball, you have won the Daytona 500 as short track racing. You know what I mean? Pretty awesome. Well, and absolutely. And fact, some other oh, – go ahead, Tyler. Go ahead. Real quick, just the names they were able to bring in. You mentioned Chase Elliott, Kyle Busch. I was impressed with that of just the job they put together to have those names. What else we got? Yeah, some more news out of Florida too. I mean, Rick Hendrick kind of put the cat out of the bag in Phoenix a few weeks back, but it's now official. Jimmy Johnson will be running the Rolex 24. Johnson will be running – a number 48 for the 24-hour sports car race at Daytona International Speedway next month. He's going to be teamed up with Action Express Racing and Hendrick Motorsports. The seven-time NASCAR Cup Series champion will have teammates that include Simon Paginata and Mike Rockenfeller. So 2021 will be Johnson's eighth attempt at the race and his first since 2011. He's never won, but his best finish has been second place twice. Kind of interesting that, you know, I – since Jimmy's retired from NASCAR, I think he's going to be even busier with uh, all these different other types of racing that he wants to do. You know, it's kind of cool. You know, it's, it's cool that Jimmy's going to be able to experience, you know, uh, racing in Indy cars and, you know, racing in the 24 hours race at Daytona. I'm sure that's not, there's going to be, that's the first of many more to come. You know what I mean? I'm just glad to see, uh, see him try other forms of auto racing and uh he's probably gonna you know if he thought his uh this sounds like to me from just hearing all the news about jimmy and what's going on with his indy car career he's going to be pretty busy so uh good for him man that's going to be awesome to watch absolutely and then just some of the other news and headlines that we were following around too for the first time in nearly three years aj allmendinger is going to be having a full-time nascar campaign colleague racing announced early in december that Almondinger would be racing for the team on a full-time basis in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. So he's going to be one of your regular competitors week in and week out. He's competed for the team on a part-time basis over the last two seasons, earning three wins for the organization. Almondinger, we should also note, is a past winner in the NASCAR Cup Series, earning one victory at Watkins Glen in 2014, and also a playoff berth that year. Man, you know, Almondinger, God, just a – a great guy, man, one heck of a race car driver. And just talking about Jimmy Johnson and IndyCar racing, I, I remember watching A.J. Allmendinger. Uh, it might have been the kart series. I mean, man, he was winning. He was on a – I remember it like it was yesterday. Man, that guy was – he was one heck of a IndyCar racer. He won a lot of races on the Indy side, and it was really cool when they brought him when he jumped over to the NASCAR side, and you know, and, and – uh, Man, it didn't take him long and to figure out that he was he was one of the all-time best on these road courses, you know, and uh, he's just a strong competitor. He's a good guy, hardcore racer, and, and I'm glad to see, uh, you know, I'm sure he does a lot of commentating, but I'm, I'm sure he, uh, he'd rather be inside that race car competing, and I'm glad to see him come back and get an opportunity, a full-time opportunity. Uh, he deserves it. He's, 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 
you know, he's a, he'll be a contender for the championship. I can assure you of that, uh, that collie racing, that team, man, those guys are good. Uh, they affiliated with, uh, Rich, RCR, Richard Childress racing. And, uh, man, every, you win Xfinity races. That's, that's, uh, their, their two cars. You, you got to beat them guys first, but, uh, good for AJ. Glad to hear that news. Yeah, he's had quite the career when you look at how he's run in the Cup Series, transitioning from open wheel to the Cup Series. And I think back to 2009 with AJ, how Richard Petty Motorsports couldn't even commit a full season to him because they just didn't have the funding. And they sent him down to Daytona in a car that was not locked into the race, qualifies, he races his way into the Daytona 500 and finishes third in that range, shortened race. And that just kind of snowballed from there. You never want to say a race makes or breaks somebody, but I think back to that pivotal moment for AJ Allmendinger back in 2009 racing your way into the Daytona 500 and look how his career has gone over the last 10 years. Man, that's one of the cool things about Daytona, you know, just people don't realize, you know, I'm, you know, I, this is, you know, I've been NASCAR racing for 24 years and never had the opportunity to race in the Daytona 500, you know, that's, that's a, man, I hope before it's all said and done in my career. And I, I can't, I, I hate to even say that, but I, hope one day or one year I get an opportunity to attempt to race in the Daytona 500. And for people that watch it and keep up with the twin 125 races there at Daytona, man, those races, uh, you know, that set the field in the Daytona 500, there's some great feel good stories. I think one of them from this past year was, uh, you know, Timmy Hill racing this way in the Daytona 500. There's been several over the years and, Man, these guys are so excited, you know, they can't even do an interview, you know what I mean, because they're just, you know, they're so choked up, the emotions and what it means. Uh, it's just cool, you know. And, and like you said, Dominic, it's a game changer for some some people's racing careers, you know. Absolutely. That race can do a lot for somebody's career. And, Tyler, there's your news and notes for the week. There you have it. Uh, Dominic, appreciate you doing that. Uh, last thing before we go and uh, wrap up on today's show – we want to do some uh, question and answers. It's our Ask David segment. We ask you on Facebook and Twitter to send us in your questions that you have for David each week, and we'll pick a couple. And uh, where we will start with uh, this week, David, is a uh, question that comes in from Teresa. And Teresa writes, what's your favorite paint scheme you've had, David? <laughs> Man, that's a – Wow, you know it's it's uh, that's that's a tough question, and here's why. Uh, you know it, and and we'll talk about this in the future. With every person, every company, all the people that come together that make the budget what it is, so I can race, make a living, and do what I love to do, race in NASCAR. You know those paint schemes each and every week are, 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 are very special to me and, and, and meaningful. You know what I mean? Uh, so I'd like to say that every week having these different companies and, you know, everybody's companies on the race car, we change the, 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 the schemes up and one's red and one's white, one's black. And, uh, man, every week is really special because we're there racing and, uh, and people are helping us and companies are involved in our sport. You know, but I, you know, but the question was, what is your favorite? You know, which one was your all-time favorite, you know? And, uh, you know, racing for Randy Moss and just driving for AJ and just the cars you won in, the paint schemes you had on and on the days you won. But my all-time favorite has to be the Whataburger race car because being from Texas 
and growing up going to Waterburgers as a little boy, I mean, that was just <laughs> our, you know, that's just where we went. We went to Waterburger, you know, uh, I mean, there's shakes, there's hamburgers, you know, I'm a creature of habit, you know, I, I, I get a number one, no tomatoes, no onions. And you know, I've been getting number ones and French fries and onion rings and a Dr. Pepper. I mean, for as long, you know, it's kind of sad that, you know, when I pull into these Waterburgers, the ones I go to almost every day, when they hear my voice, they already know what I want. You know what I mean? But, uh, but man, my favorite paints paint scheme is the Waterburger race car. You know, it's just so iconic and so noticeable and people just, people all over the United States love Waterburger. And, uh, no matter if I'm racing in Michigan or California, you know, when I'm there and, and I'm, and I'm inner, I'm act inner, you know, I'm engaging with the race fans uh, every weekend, why didn't you bring the Waterburger car? You know, well, man, there's, there's not Waterburgers in the state of Michigan. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, but my personal favorite, that would be my personal favorite, my Waterburger race car. I, I love the brand. I love how the cars look. It's just cool, you know, but, but I want to say, I don't want to take away from all the other schemes I had sure. because, you know, all of them have been cool every week, whatever the race car looks like. And you know, you guys, you know me, I mean, Heck, that thing could be the ugliest race car on the racetrack, but I love it because I'm there racing. You know, somebody wanted that thing to look like that. But my all-time favorites is Whataburger. Man, Stop, I, I, Dave, I just want to say for the record, now I want Whataburger in the closest one 70 miles away. So thank you for that. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I get Sorry, hungry. I get hungry every time I see the Whataburger car, David. I, I just can't help but think I need a number two with <laughs> uh, with mayo, no onions. Get me the fries and the chocolate shake. You dip those fries in the shake. My goodness. Uh, it doesn't get much better than uh, than Whataburger uh, Dude, you're, right there. You're, you're making me hungry, and, uh, you know, you can tell uh, for lunch today where I had lunch at. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you know what I mean? It's just uh, – it's I love all our partners, and I love every weekend what our race cars look like. When you have people that – and companies, again, you know, way people uh, design their their schemes and how they want their race cars to look – Every weekend, I love them. They're beautiful. Uh, but but the question was your all-time favorite. Yeah. That would be the Whataburger car, the Whataburger race car. Well, and, and uh, Dominic and I, we got to advertise uh, our entities on your American Rebel race car back in Kansas. So, I guess that's technically my favorite paint scheme, the one that had my face on it and had the racing experts on it. That was pretty cool, uh, putting the uh, Jones Report podcast, the other show I do, and Dominic with the racing experts. We love doing that. And, and, uh, that was, uh, that was a wild story. Uh, I, I just asked you on my radio show if we could do it. And, and, uh, you said yes, that day, Do Dominic was in studio with me that day. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> Hey, you know, you, I, I, people say, man, you're always happy. You're always happy at the racetrack. And man, when you have a job like we have, you know what I mean? Uh, man, life's good. You know what I mean? Even, even when you have a bad race, you know, inside you're, you're, you're mad and, and, uh, but man, even a bad race at the racetrack, even having a bad race or not the outcome, not turning out like you wanted it to is still, you know, still a great day. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, uh, and that was cool that we got to put y'all's, uh, you know, y'all stickers on the race car, but man, you talked about the American rebel race car, man, that was a good looking race car. It was. Having, you know, Andy Ross and Stan Ross, those guys helped me, and and uh, they they designed the way that car looked, and it was cool. And they're safe, you know, they're 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 gun safes and they're concealed backpack carriers. I mean, 
unbelievable. You know, it's, it's just yeah. amazing that, that, you know, I'm nobody and I get to represent some of these great companies and their products on and off the racetracks. Amazing. You know? So again, sure. the Whataburger is my all time favorites, but man, American rebel chat. I mean, there's so many, you know, and we'll talk about all of them coming up in the future. And I, I want to say, Man, I can't wait to have uh, our guests, some of the some of the drivers, and uh, man, I'm looking forward to some of the my friends that you know that we had a lot of you know, I mean we we were tough competitors. I mean, yeah. we were so tough competitors that man, sometimes after the races, I mean we were, I mean we were almost fist to cuff at times. But you know, when all that passion, you know, that just shows a lot of passion. But when you could set that to the side, we were great friends. You know what I'm saying? Right, so. Right. I, I'm looking forward to having those guys, guests of ours. But, uh, but anyway, that was an awesome question. Oh, yeah. Uh, one more for you. This one's from uh, – you may know this person. You heard of Kim Star? <laughs> Who was that? It's <laughs> David's <laughs> wife for people that don't know. Uh, uh, Kim writes, if you could do it all over again, what would you do differently? Oh, man, golly, you know, lots. You know uh, – you, you make the best decisions. Uh, you know, I'm a loyal guy. You know, the people that support me, give me opportunities, I'm loyal. And, man, I, that's just the way I'm made. That's the way I built. The people that help me, I mean, we're, we're lifelong friends. And, and that's just not in the racing business. That's just in life in general, you know. Right. And, uh, but to answer that, that's, that's, that's a good question that my wife is asking. <laughs> I, you know, you know, looking back on it, I'm, I was loyal to a fault, you know, loyal to a fault. I, I stood with people that gave me opportunities when other bigger and better opportunities came to me that would have, that would have took me further in my career. I look back on them, but you know, I say there's a lot I would change and there is, but man, I don't, you know, at the end of the day, when, when, when one day, when all this is over with, you know, you were loyal to the people that thought enough about you that liked the way you race, that gave you opportunities. I was, I, I rode, I was with them to the end to whether we ran out of funding or they got out of the sport and that's okay you know what i mean and uh so there is a lot of things i would change and there's a lot of things that i wouldn't change and uh that's a great question hard to answer it but you know i was loyal to a fault and i think if i wasn't so loyal i would have went a little bit further in my racing career but it's been pretty awesome to up until this point and it's not over with yet david that's fantastic and that's gonna about do it here for episode number two of Let's Go Racing with David Starr. Make sure to subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube. New episodes out each and every Tuesday. I do radio in Lawrence, Kansas, Monday through Friday, 6 to 8 a.m. Also on air on Saturdays from 12 to 2. Dominic, what's going on this week on theracingexperts.com? Yeah, just keep staying tuned on our social media pages, especially our Twitter page at the Racing R-A-C-N, Experts. We love interacting with the fans around the sport, and we've been doing a lot of cool giveaways, a lot of cool NASCAR autograph, relic, hero cards, diecast, you name it. We're giving it away twice a week on the Racing Experts. So follow us there. Follow us for some news, information, 
most importantly, we love engaging with the fans. Give us a follow there. That is uh, great. David, we got to go, but uh, anything else you want to tell the folks out there before we wrap up episode number two? You know, uh, man, thank you guys again. Thank you all for coming to me with this, this great idea. And thank you for putting it together. Uh, I love the race fans. I love the engagement with them. It's amazing that you guys and myself, that we even have people that follow us. I mean, you know, we're just as normal as anybody, you know what I mean? So, so I just want to say thank you for the race fans. Thank you for people that, that will listen to us talk for an hour. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, we're just talking about, we're just talking about what we love and what we're passionate about, you know, and uh, for the people that will listen to our podcast, I just want to thank you. If you're a race fan, you like racing, you like cars and you tune into us. I just want to thank you, man. I mean, because we're just at the end of the day, we're nobody specials. We're just, we're just a race. We're all, we're all just one big family. The race fans make it what it is. And, and I just want to let the fans know not only our fans and the fans of our sport, but the people that are, that are following and listening to our podcast, thank you for your time. And, and, uh, you know, let us know if, let us know how we're doing. You know, this is all new to me. I'm like, man, I hope we're doing okay. (laughs) You know what I mean? I hope we're giving you some, some cool information. It's going to get bigger and better as we learn and go through this together. Uh, so uh, thank you for tuning in. There's a lot going on, man. I'm, I'm you know, during this, uh, during this great time, the holiday season and everything going on, I'm trying to enjoy it with my kids and my wife. But, you know, you guys know I'm stressed. I'm meeting with all my different sponsors. I'm trying to put together and look at what my budget looks like so I can make an announcement, figure out who I'm going to be racing for, what we're going to do to be doing in 2021. So, there's just a lot happening, but uh, but thank you for the fans and thank you for following our podcast. Yes, absolutely. We got to put the checkered flag out on this edition of Let's Go Racing for David Starr and Dominic Oregon. I'm Tyler Jones. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you right back here on Let's Go Racing next week. Wait for the man to get ready. Stand in the lights to 